Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Well, it is Father's Day, and uh, we, we decided to get something for the dads that we knew that each one of you would appreciate. Now, I don't drink soda anymore, but I make one exception, and that's for some good quality root beer. So, um, we got you each a Killebrew. This is the good stuff, all right, by the way. This is not like, like your, your Barks root beer. This is, this is Killebrew. The only problem is I forgot a bottle opener. So, I don't know how I'm going to drink this. You know, I saw this online. And I don't know if it's going to work or not. I've never, I honestly have never tried this before. But it, it's on the internet, so it must be true, right? But apparently, if you just tap it just right, you can just knock the top off of this bottle with a butter knife. Do you believe that I can do it? If this works, you guys are going to be amazed. If it doesn't, I'm going to look like an idiot. I promise you, I have not tried this yet. The wise thing to do would have been to figure out if I could actually do it beforehand. But I'm going to try it anyway, all right? You think it's fake? Yeah. One more try. One more try. <laughs> It's fake. It's fake. You know, um, you can just have your root beer, and if somebody here has a pocket knife, I'm sure, that has a bottle opener on it, they can open it that way. I failed miserably. I'm so disappointed. Hey, uh, but I do have something that I know I can do very well, and that's deliver some dad jokes. Would you like to hear some dad jokes this morning on Father's Day? Uh, why can't a nose be 12 inches long? Because then it would be a foot. <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, how many tickles does it make to take it? Oh, I, Andrew told that one last week. That's, that's no good. That's no good. He ruined that one for me. Um, why don't eggs tell jokes? Because they crack each other up. Uh, did you know that I don't trust stairs? They're always up to something. Uh, what do you call somebody with no body and no nose? Nobody knows. Nick's all over that one. <laughs> uh, why did the math book look so sad? Because of all its problems. All right. Well, those are awful. <laughs> uh, one of these weeks, I'm gonna I'm gonna amp back up. Um, the the jokes here so that that you get a good one but uh we are in this message series in the book of acts and it has been so fun to um go through this together with you and i have too many screens here okay here we go um we've been talking through the book of acts and uh going through this process together and it's been so much fun over the past couple of weeks uh, to do this with you. And uh, I am excited about this week. Uh, this is 
a great uh, chapter in the book of Acts. We're going to look at a couple of different stories, but uh, we're going to focus on one of those stories from Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn there with us, you can do that. And, and just to give you an idea of what's happened so far, uh, we have uh, the Great Commission's been given by Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, he says, Go into all the nations, preach the gospel, make disciples of every nation. Uh, and it, it, it's this, this idea of commissioning the church to be witnesses. And it, he says, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And here we are in Acts chapter 7, and guess where we're still at? Jerusalem. <laughs> We've gone through seven chapters, all this movement by the Holy Spirit, all these incredible things, thousands of people coming to know the Lord. Peter preached two sermons, like 8,000 people got saved in those two sermons. Like, that's incredible. But we're still in the city of Jerusalem. Um, and... Last week, we went over Stephen's death, Stephen's death, um, and he was this incredible guy, gave his life in, in standing for his faith. We shared that story together, and, and that's where we kind of left off, and, and if you remember at the end of that story, as Stephen was stoned to death, the men who did it laid their cloaks down at the feet of this guy named Saul. And uh, he was a Pharisee, and he was leading the persecution of the Christian church. And he's going to become a pretty important character in the church. And so we're going to look at uh, a little bit more of that story as we continue on next week. We're going to really hear about Saul and what happens to him. But this week, we're going to share two more stories, some incredible things that are happening in this process of the early church. So... We're going to start at verse 1 and just read a little bit about what's going on in the church. And Saul approved of his execution. We're, we're talking about Stephen here. And he arose on that day, and, a great per and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Did you catch that? So we just went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And how did it happen? Persecution, right? What drove the expansion of the church? Now, uh, I want you to understand something about God as, as we're reading this right now. God didn't cause the persecution to happen. That was a tactic that the enemy used. But our God is in the process of redeeming things that were meant for evil and turning them to good. It's not that he made it right? It's not that it was his idea to hurt people in the church, but he wasn't going to waste it either. He wasn't going to waste their pain. And so he took that, that spreading of Christianity. The Christians were scattered throughout these different regions, and he used it to fulfill promise that he had made when he told his disciples they were going to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And it says they were scattered, scattered throughout the region except the apostles. They stayed in hiding in Jerusalem. And devout men buried Stephen and made lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered 
went about preaching the word. Now Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them and who were paralyzed, and those who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. That's, that's kind of a theme that happens throughout this book. So you'll hear that phrase a lot, that there was joy as a result of the gospel. Friends, I don't want to lose the joy of spreading the truth of the gospel. The gospel is moving from Jerusalem to Samaria, and, and I want you to remember something about Samaria. See, the Samaritans were outcasts. They were people that were rejected by the Jewish people because they had intermarried with the Assyrians during their time of captivity, and so they were kind of um, the stepchild of the Jewish community. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And the, the area of Samaria was, was located about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And so the gospel is moving up to these people that were, that were hated and rejected by the Jewish people. And, and it's still working the same way. The gospel message is still having the same effect in that region as it did in Jerusalem. That's evidence that what Jesus had promised is true, that this message of hope is for everyone. And what happened with the preaching of the gospel is, is there was always miracles and signs and wonders that accompanied this incredible um, message as well. And it's spreading ultimately because this guy, Saul, is chasing people all over the world. It's spreading not because of, of a great missional mindset because they had a heart to go and, and reach the nations with the gospel. They, they probably didn't even want to do that initially. But because they were being persecuted, they were being pushed out into this region. And it had the same effect. And then the next story that, that we see in Acts chapter 8, we're not going to read through the whole thing this morning because we're limited on time and I want to focus on the second story in this chapter. But it's this guy named Simon, and he's a sorcerer or a magician. Uh, the Bible doesn't really say if, if he was uh, just an illusionist and, and tricking people or if he was performing magic by demonic means. I tend to um, lean towards the latter on this because of the way that, that he approached um, Peter and John. But Simon sees this guy, Philip, who had been in Samaria, had been performing miracles like we just read about, healing people, and so when, when Peter and John came to town, he knew that Peter and John were affiliated with this guy, Philip, and they're praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are a number of people there that have been baptized in Jesus' name, but Peter and John said, hey, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit too, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so um, he was seeing that happen, and he was seeing the power behind that, and he says, how do I get what you guys have? I got some money. I'm a pretty popular guy. How much is it going to cost for me to experience that? And Peter and John, of course, rebuked him and said, this isn't something you can buy. This is a gift from God. And so 
he, he does uh, what others have done in the past as well that we've seen throughout history and that he repents and is baptized as well. And it's, and it's an incredible story. But I want to finish our time here talking today about this next story and this guy, Philip, one of the disciples and one of the great evangelists in the Bible. Uh, verse 26 of this chapter says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Now, if you've heard of the Gaza Strip, like that's one of the most contentious places in the nation of Israel right now. It's where a lot of uh, the uh, terrorist groups are from in that region. It's in the southern part of Israel. And um, so this was a little ways from Jerusalem. Uh, it was actually a, a significant trek, but Philip was obedient to what the Lord told him to do. He went down to Gaza into the desert, and he said, uh, so the angel told him to do this, and um, he, he ran into this guy, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, um, I'm going to let parents, you can explain to your kids what a eunuch is. Uh, if you don't know, you can Google it. <laughs> but uh, for, for the, the purpose of what we're talking about right here, it's important to understand that eunuchs were often placed in high positions, in authoritarian positions, because they were less likely to be corrupted. Um, now, this would be pretty easy to gloss over, but um, I, I, I want us to understand something. Philip comes up to this Ethiopian eunuch's uh, chariot, right? And, and, and we could just say, oh, yeah, he's just walking up to his chariot. Do you understand that a chariot is being pulled by horses? And Philip just runs up alongside of this chariot. The guy must have been a world-class athlete, or either that chariot was going very slowly. But he runs up to that chariot. Now, if somebody ran up to your car like that, what would your initial instinct be? Like, this guy's trying to steal my car. <laughs> like, he's going to try to pull me out of here and, and steal my car. We'd probably take off. But here's what it says in verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So he, w he was in a high position. He was in charge of the treasury for the Ethiopian queen. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So somehow he had gotten his hands on a copy of this portion of Old Testament scripture. And the spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. And the prophet asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, again, just picture this in modern day terms. You're driving in your car relatively slow, apparently. And somebody runs up alongside your car, sticks their head in the window and says, hey, what you reading there? <laughs> right? How many of us would be like, bye, <laughs> you know, hit the accelerator, take off, leave him in the dust. This was a bold move. Philip was not a timid guy, right? He was bold in his faith. And so Philip ran up to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, asked him, do you understand 
what you're reading. He said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip was probably pretty relieved by that. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? From his life is taken, or for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. That's important, church. It's, it's time for us to open our mouth. Right? You've you maybe heard the saying before, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Can I, can I tell you something? It's necessary. It's necessary to use your words. You know, we're not afraid to use our words for anything else. We use our words all the time to create destruction. We use our words all the time to say stupid things. We use our words all the time to make jokes and, and to say things that don't matter. It's time to start using our words for something that really matters, that really makes a difference. Your friends and your family are not going to come to know Christ by osmosis. Somebody needs to tell them the truth of the gospel message, and God has put you in their life for that very purpose. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's not something else that, 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 that somebody with a ministry calling should have to do. You have a ministry calling. You have a responsibility. The Great Commission was given to all disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the word disciple means follower. Okay? This is our responsibility it's time to speak up. Let's keep reading. Philip said to him, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You know, it's funny because we're so embarrassed sometimes to, to share the gospel message when in reality, it's all good. It's all good news, right? He shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I want you to remember that phrase, because we're going to come back there. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Huh? Can you imagine for a second, like, you just give your heart to the Lord, you're baptized, he dips you under the water, and you come back up out of the water, and there's nobody there anymore. I, it's pretty easy to read through that passage and miss over that. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, 
he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, so first of all, Azotus is about 30 miles from Gaza, where he and Philip were. And Caesarea is way up on the, the northwestern portion, right on, right on the Mediterranean Sea. All right, so the Spirit of God decided that Philip couldn't hang around and walk down to Azotus himself. He needed him there immediately, and he journeyed all the way up. That long distance, days it took him to make this journey and preach the gospel the whole way there. That was what Philip was called to do. Now, um, I want to leave you with one question this morning. And it's the question that the Ethiopian asked. He said, what prevents me? What prevents me? And this is something that, that each one of us needs to ask ourselves. What prevents me from doing what God has called me to do? In his case, it was being baptized, right? He says, what prevents me from being baptized? He could have said, well, I don't see the point. Or I'm nervous about the process. Or maybe it's embarrassing that I've never done this before. You know, I don't understand it. Or how about this one? Um, what prevents you and me from sharing our faith with somebody else? Maybe it's that you're worried that you'll say the wrong thing. Maybe it's... Um, what prevents me from doing what, has, what God has called me to do? Maybe God's put something on your heart. He's given you a burden about something. Can I ask you something? Are you focused on what he's called you to do, or are you focused on the challenges that lay in front of you? That makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to close today by sharing a story about a, a Scottish preacher named John Harper. Uh, in 1912, John Harper was, was traveling from Scotland to Moody Church in Chicago. He was going to preach uh, a number of services there. And so in order to do that, to make that transatlantic trip, he had to um, jump on a, a ship. And that ship that he happened to be on, you probably heard of before. It's called the Titanic. And we all know the story of what happened to the Titanic, but do you know the story of John Harper? Because like many others, he ended up in the water and desperately trying to survive and seeing others trying to survive as well. He would swim up to people in that cold water and he'd ask them right in the water if they knew Jesus. And Harper finally approached a passenger clinging to a piece of wood and pleaded with the man to trust in Jesus Christ. Completely exhausted at this point, he succumbed to the conditions and he went under the water to his death. And Harper said his last words were, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. A few years later at the, a meeting with all the survivors, uh, from the Titanic, a man who encountered John Harper told the group that he had been saved twice that night. 
first he accepted Christ as his personal savior because of what John Harper said. And then he was rescued from the Atlantic a short time later. He said, alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I believed that I am John Harper's last convert. John Harper's goal was, was not focused on himself, but rather he was motivated by the calling that God had placed on his life. In another account about this incident, as the lifeboats were being loaded, John Harper was directing traffic. He said, women, children, and the unsaved first. Even down to his very last moment on this earth, his vision, his goal, his dream, the thing that God had placed in his heart took priority for him. John Harper was known for saying that hell doesn't motivate the unbeliever. It should motivate the believer. The thing that motivates the unbeliever is, is the hope that comes through Jesus Christ, but it should be an incredible motivator for us as Christians that we shouldn't want anyone to experience it. Fear doesn't motivate the lost to come to Christ. But the fact that we know that hell is real should motivate us to do something about it.